Well, we are excited uh, about this um, and the chance to share with you. It's been a while since um, Denise and I have uh, done this together, but we really, really enjoy um, just talking about uh, marriage, and we really have a heart um, for marriages and really desire, you know, years ago, we still have the ministry in our church called Thrive. Denise and I actually started that, and we had a little kind of slogan that we said, we don't want to see people just survive marriage, but we want to see them thrive in their marriages. And um, so that really is also the heart um, of this class. And I know that there are some of you who've been married a long time, some of you who are just newlyweds, some of you are in between, and hopefully tonight, in fact, I think there's even a a couple that signed up that aren't married yet. And uh, so um, hopefully as we go through these next six weeks that what we have to share and what God has put on our heart is really going to be an encouragement to um, to all of you. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go ahead and let Denise kind of begin by kind of telling our story a little bit. So let's uh, pray together. Lord, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity that we have tonight to um, look at what I know that you are very passionate about, and that is... Uh, marriage. And Lord, it is just a joy to talk to um, these folks that represent so many of the marriages in our church. And I pray, God, that over the next six weeks that you would do a work in all of our hearts and that we would be encouraged and that we would see um, our marriages just growing and flourishing and bearing fruit Um, Lord, I pray that as you challenge by your Holy Spirit that we wouldn't be resistant, but we would just be open to all that you have for us. And so we give you tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (laughs) It's good to see all of you. Okay, so I'm going to give you the brief version of our story of how we met. Um, Rob and I, we met in the year 1985. It was up at Twin Peaks Conference Center near Big Bear. And I was 19 years old, and he was 20 years old. We were just babies. And um, so Rob was on the mountain because actually he had just been hired by Pastor Brian Broderson to be the youth pastor here at Calvary Vista. And they were up for a week-long family camp on the mountain. And I was up there because I had just finished Bible college and was really in a place in my life of just seeking the Lord for direction on what was next. And so I felt led to just stay on the mountain that summer and be a camp counselor and help out in any way I could. And so it was during that time that there was someone on the mountain that approached me and said, hey, um, would you be willing to help out this youth pastor who's here who needs someone to lead worship for the junior high kids? And I said, sure. And so we started, um, yeah, we just served together that week. It was awesome. I mean, right away there was just a just a great connection, a friendship. It was so just amazing to serve with him. He came up one other week with the church, and it was it was great. But honestly, I never thought that I would see him again. Um, but God works in mysterious ways. Amen. You probably, <laughs> some of you have those type of stories. And uh, we don't have time to go into all of it, but I can tell you 
without a doubt that God worked and he orchestrated and he opened doors in such a way that got me down here to um, be a part of Calvary Vista and to be a part of the worship and also to serve in the youth. So we got to hang out quite a bit. Yeah, and one of the things that did happen that was just really, really crazy that I I will mention is that um, Denise had been asked by Pastor Brian if she would consider moving here and helping out with our, our worship ministry here at the church. And um, so she had been praying to just see, like, God, do you want me to do this? And, and she got to this point where she was feeling like the Lord was saying yes, but she was wondering, you know, where am I going to live? What am I going to do for work? How is this all going to happen? And I, I kid you not, on the same day, I got a call from somebody here in the church that said, hey, Rob, um, I have a, a, a business. I'm looking for you know, a young gal to come work in my office. Um, do you know anybody? You know, I'm like, I might. And then I hung up the phone, and I'm literally, like 20 minutes later, I got a call from a lady in the church who had a daughter who was in college. And uh, she said, hey, you know, my daughter and I, we have this three-bedroom house, and so we have this extra room. Do you know another young gal that might need a room to rent I'm like I might you know and and then Denise called me like maybe an hour after those two calls and said I really feel like God wants me to come but where would I live and what would I do and I'm like God's already got it covered you know it was amazing so it was awesome now we didn't start dating right away when she first uh, moved down here because both of us were coming out of relationships but we did start working together in ministry not only did she help in worship but she immediately started helping me in um, the youth ministry and you know, as as we were working together, I, I was really, you know, just being a, attracted to her and her heart for the Lord. And I, I think you were kind of interested in me as well. Yeah, he was, he, he was hard to resist, really. And what's so funny is, I mean, you have to remember, we're working with junior hires. And so I have all the junior high girls going, isn't he so cute? What do you think about Rob? And we think you're going to marry him. Actually, one of the girls in the youth was Dawn Hill, for who those of you who tonight. know her. They sang. She was one of those junior high girls. So yes, you were hard to resist. So we're doing ministry together. We're seeing each other like almost every single day. And after about three months, I finally asked her out. And, and, and because we were doing youth ministry, a lot of times we'd go get something to eat and we'd, you know, talk about, you know, the youth ministry and what was happening. Or sometimes after a youth event, we'd go get ice cream or something and we'd talk about what happened and maybe what we could have done better and that type of thing. And so one night I finally, or one day I finally said to her, I said, hey, you want to like, you know, go out and, and like not talk about youth ministry? I'm like, are you asking me like on a date? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, and and so um, I now now you got to picture this. At that time, I I made seven hundred dollars a month. My rent was four and a quarter, so I didn't have a whole lot of money. But I wanted to impress her, so I took her to the chart house in Cardiff. Right? Okay. I saved up. We got a we got a, a table that was right by the window. The waters come. It was just perfect beautiful. We had a neat night and great dinner. We're, you know, talking. I thought everything was going well. But then as we, on the way home, she fell asleep. (laughs) 
I did. I fell asleep. Okay. Do, how many of you do that in the car? It's like rocking a baby to sleep. I don't know. There's something about a car, and I just snooze out. And trust me, I was so embarrassed when we got back, and he shuts off the engine, and I wake up, drool down my face. I'm like thinking he is never going to ask me out again, and especially after almost breaking the bank over that. Um, but but I didn't did. know how to take that. You know, I'm like, okay, am I that boring? You know, I mean, come on. No, I was just that comfortable. Well, a few weeks later, I took her to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and um, I was in love big time. And uh, I loved everything about her. And um, in April, I ended up proposing, and we ended up getting married uh, three months later in July. And, um, and so it was really exactly one year after we met, and um, we've been married. It'll be 36 years in July. Yay! <laughs> yeah, and, and really it's by the grace of God and the goodness of God working in us, transforming our lives, uh, that we can sit here and say that, yes, we are still in love with each other. But, you know, a lot has happened over those years, right? <laughs> we've lived in seven different homes. Uh, we've moved, we moved a thousand miles away from here to go plant a church in Oregon. And while we were there, we had um, uh, a baby. Well, when we let, no, excuse me, when we left to go, we had a Two. baby and a toddler in hand. <laughs> that was crazy. Yes. Don't and recommend then... <laughs> planting a church with that. Uh... <laughs> and then five years later, with another baby in tow, the Lord called us back here to Calvary Vista. And um, so we've been so, so blessed. In fact, we did just celebrate 25 years where Rob's the, the senior pastor here. And so we're very, very, very thankful. So we have three adult children, three grandkids, and a wonderful little dog named Reddington. And so we, I think, we, oh, there we are. There's that Aaron and Brooklyn, our son, and, and his wife and baby Jack were just here for Easter, so we got to get a family photo. So we're blessed. Yeah. So this is what we've discovered, though. We've been married, okay, going on 36 years. I would say we have a good marriage. 36 years, we're still friends, best friends. We still love each other. But what we've discovered is having a good marriage doesn't just happen. It takes work. And you have to be intentional. Question, how many of you here have a garden at home or have ever had a garden? Whether vegetable, flower you know, garden, kind of, any okay. kind of garden. Okay, yeah. a lot of you. Okay, you know this, that, um, you know, you got to take care of a garden. And, and I like to say this, that marriage is like a garden in two ways. Number one, you might want to take notes on this. Number one is that you get out of it what you put into it, right? So if you plant tomato seeds, you're going to end up with tomatoes, not cucumbers, right? And, uh, so, and so too, the same thing is true in, um, in a marriage, that the ingredients that you are planting into your marriage are going to determine the fruit that comes out of your marriage. So if you plant the wrong stuff, the wrong stuff is going to come out. If you plant nothing, you're going to get nothing. And think of it this way. Um, you wouldn't think of walking into a bank to make a withdrawal in a bank that you haven't made a deposit. Well, there are people all the time who are trying to make deposits or, or excuse me, withdrawals on their marriage and in places in their marriage where they haven't made a deposit. 
And um, so by signing up for this class, you're making a deposit. By signing up for these six weeks, you are being intentional. And I think in this time, we're going to share some biblical and practical insight with you. And so um, marriage is like a garden in the sense that you get out of it what you put into it. But... Well, and the second way that marriage is a lot like a garden is that when a garden is neglected, things begin to die, right? And weeds begin to grow, and it happens pretty quickly. In fact, I was just out on my patio today, just so bummed out over this beautiful plant that just two weeks ago was so beautiful, had these cute little yellow flowers, and when people would come to the house, they would comment on that. I go out today, and it's all like shriveled up, and it looks halfway dead. It's because I forgot to water it over the last two weeks and all that warm weather. But you know, the same is true in marriage, right? If we neglect it, if we're not properly taking care of it, and we're not paying attention to it, then our love begins to diminish, and it begins to dry up, and it can lose like that vibrancy and that beauty in life. And then before we realize it, there's like weeds everywhere, right? Because weeds are they're relentless. And so in marriage, it's the weeds like um, anger and resentment or insecurity. And I mean, we could go on and on of all the weeds that can begin to grow up in our marriage. Um, And weeds grow so, so quickly. In fact, they grow faster than the fruit. (laughs) Amen. So again, it's the same in marriage. Why? Because the soil of our sin nature is very, very fertile for weeds, unfortunately. Yeah. So over the next six weeks, we are going to invest in our marriages. And as I mentioned, we're going to give some practical, very practical insight, as well as some biblical insight that I promise you this. If you apply these to your relationship, your marriage is going to thrive. It will. I can promise you that. But it's going to take work. It's going to take intentionality. It's like what we say in the gym is true about this, where there's no pain, there's no gain. And that thing is true. It's like some of this that we're going to share over the course of these six weeks might be painful for some of you. We're going to touch some nerves that you're going to want to go, I don't want to go back next week. Um, But the Lord is doing that. It's the Holy Spirit that's working. And if you put in the hard work, you're going to reap huge dividends in your family, in your relationship, amongst your friends. And there are testimonies of people in this church who have applied these principles who, I got to tell you, I looked at their marriage and thought, it's, it's over. There's no hope. And they are walking miracles today. So tonight, I want to give you a picture to start this off. This is kind of the big picture of a house and the building of a house. And what we're going to look at tonight is what I might call the blueprint or the framework. And we're going to look at four elements that we're going to use as the framework for this study. This is sort of the big picture that we'll come back to again and again. And these four things um, are seen in the opening verses in Ephesians chapter 5 in the section regarding marriage. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, Denise is actually going to step down for the rest of this tonight, but she will be 
here to team teach with me over the next four uh, nights that we're together. But for this very beginning, it's just a little easier to do this um, by myself. So now when most people think about the marriage passage here in Ephesians, most people think it starts in verse 22, right? Like that's where Paul starts talking about marriage. Uh, Wives submit to your husbands. But actually it starts way before that. In fact, I want to just give you to kind of get the picture of what's happening here in chapter 5. The outline for the book of Ephesians. And it goes like this. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the wealth of the believer. It's all about our identity in Christ. That's chapters 1 through 3. And then when you get to chapter 4, Paul starts talking about the walk of the believer. And it's the idea of because this is who you are in Christ, now be intentional because of that and walk in this way. So chapters 1 through 3, the wealth of the believer, who we are in Jesus. Chapters 4 through 6 verse 9 is the walk of the believer, being intentional about appropriating who you are in Christ. And then in chapter 6 verse 10, through the end of the book, we have what we would call the warfare of the believer and how we stand strong in Jesus, in our identity in Jesus, and in his power. That's what chapter 6 verse 10 through the end is all about. Now, here in chapter 5, Paul is talking about our walk, and he makes three powerful statements that begin in verse 1, where he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Everybody say, walk in love. This is the first principle that he's talking about in our walk, that we're to walk in love, and he continues, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then skip down to verse 8. And then he says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Everybody say, walk in the light. So these are the two things he's talking about. Here's our walk. Because of who we are in Christ, we're to walk in love, we're to walk in the light. And then the last thing he talks about is how we're to walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That word means carefully, or the idea of paying attention to, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now it's here where Paul is talking about walking in wisdom that he starts to address the subject of marriage. And I love this because in Proverbs chapter 24 verses 3 and 4 it says, through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. But notice that it's through wisdom that a house is built. And what is true of a physical house is also true of a marriage. And in verses 17 through 21, Paul gives us what I like to call is the blueprint or the framework that everything that he is going to say in verses 22 through 33 is built on. So look at verse 17. He says, therefore, 
And this is pointing back to what he has just said about walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Pause right there and give me your attention. Here we see these four components of this house. And I'm going to start with the foundation, okay? We're starting with the foundation of the house. And the foundation in this picture is found in the last part of verse 21. Look at it again. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And this is the idea, is two people who are submitted to one another. Now, isn't that interesting? That before he says to the wife that she submit to the husband, he says to both of them that they are to be submitted to one another. But I want to zero in on that last phrase where he says, in the fear of the Lord. This is the key. The fear of the Lord speaks of having a reverence, a respect, a sense of awe toward the Lord. It speaks really of a life that is yielded to and surrendered to Jesus. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So check this out. Here's the picture. The foundation of the marriage is built on this reality. This is the foundation is you have two people whose lives, get this, individually are submitted to Jesus as Lord. That's where it starts. Two people whose lives are individually That's first, submitted to Jesus. That's the foundation that your marriage is to be built upon. Two people who are submitted to Jesus. So that means it will be two people who are submitted to his word. Two people who are individually saying, I'm going to take the direction for my life, not from anything else, but the word of God. I'm going to take the direction for my family from the word of God. I'm going to set my priorities. All of this is going to be connected to my relationship to Jesus and what he says in his word. Now, I just want to pause right here and say, if you're not willing to do that, if you're not into that, if you're like, I don't want to be submitted to God and his word, this is not the class for you, okay? You might as well go home or go somewhere else because this is key for everything that we're going to be talking about over the course of the next few weeks is coming to that place where we're realizing, okay, I individually want to be submitted to Jesus. It really is the picture of what Jesus talked about of the parable of the builders. Remember that story? Jesus said there were two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he said the foolish builder was the guy who built his house upon the sand. And he said, and when the wind and the waves and the storm come, not if, because the wind and waves and storms always come, right? 
Some of you are in the midst of storms right now. The storms always come. If you're not in a storm now, you'll be in one soon. The storms always come. You can count on it. It's a part of life. He says, and when the storms came and crashed against that house, it crumbled because it was built upon the sand. And then he defined what that house built on the sand was. And he said, this is the guy who built his house on the sand. It's the one who hears my word and doesn't put it into practice. He's the one who hears the word of God and just kind of goes in one ear and out the other or it lodges in his head but never, you know, goes into his heart, never becomes a part of his life. That's the foolish builder. And there are foolish people who are building their marriages on faulty foundations because they're not building their marriages upon the word of God. But the wise builder, he said, is the one who built his house on the rock. And when the storm crashed against that house, it withstood. It it was left standing because it was built upon the rock. And Jesus said, this is the person who builds his house upon the rock, is the one who hears my word, and he puts it into practice. And so his house stood. And guys, I want you to listen right now. If your wife respects your relationship with Jesus, if she respects your walk with the Lord, if she knows that you are a man who is submitted to Jesus, and you're not, you know, you have a bunch of compromise going on in your life, if she knows that you are a man of the word and a man of prayer, it will be a lot easier for her to respect you. It will be a lot easier for her to follow your leadership. It will be a lot easier for, you, for her to trust you. You know, a few years ago, it seemed like every few months we were hearing Another story of another Calvary Chapel pastor who got caught in adultery, blew up his marriage and, you know, got fired from his church and hurt his family. And every single time that happened and we heard about one of those stories, Denise would punish me. She'd get mad at me. She'd grow distant and kind of start acting insecure and, you know, and she wasn't real intimate, you know, during that, you know, that time. And she just would get really, really frustrated. And part of it is because of her own story that we'll probably talk about at another time in some detail. But, you know, in, in her story, there, there was, you know, in her family background, there was some uh, trust that had been broken. And so when we would hear about one of the news of one of these pastors um, who had become rebellious and sinful, she would punish me. For that. And I found out that she wasn't the only wife that was doing that. Um, in fact, there was one of my friends who uh, we found out about another guy that we knew and this had happened to. And we were talking one day and I said, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And, and he said, yeah. And he goes, but man, I'm, I'm just afraid to even tell my wife about it. And I said, why is that? And he's like, because she punishes me, you know, when that happens. And well, finally, one day I sat down with Denise and I said, why are you doing that? I haven't done anything, you know. I love you. You know, why are you reacting that way? And I asked her, I go, am I doing anything that's making you feel insecure? And she said, no. 
And she said, in fact, you know, you're right. This isn't fair. You've been the opposite of that. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She says, I trust you because I trust your relationship with Jesus. And you see, that was key. Now, if she didn't see me having a devotional life and she didn't see me seeking God, if she saw me compromising in other areas, that would have given her reason to doubt. But guys, if you are living a life that is submitted to Jesus and your wife is a lover of Jesus, she will love you and she will respect you, and she will be a lot more prone to follow you and support you because of that. And the same thing holds true for all of you ladies. If your husband loves Jesus, and he sees that that you love Jesus, and above all else, you're seeking Jesus, and you're submitted to him, he'll be much more prone much more prone to respond to your dreams. He'll be much more prone to being in tune with you. He'll be more supportive of your calling and your opportunities. And so it all hinges upon this foundation, two lives that are individually, that's where it starts, submitted to Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. It starts with you as individuals. Now, it's interesting today, if you think about it, We have more material written and preached on the subject of marriage than any time in history. And yet we have more divorces going on in the church. Why is that? Well, the answer is that there are so many couples who call themselves Christians who refuse to take God at his word, who refuse to put their marriage relationship under his lordship and seek to do what he says. And what that really, really is at its core is a failure to trust God. It's saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't think you really know what you're talking about when it comes to marriage. And so a wife will say, I know what God's word says for me, but you know, if I do what God's word says for me, my husband's going to walk all over me. And husbands who say, you know, I know that I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church and and I'm to be a servant leader in my home. But if I do what God's asking, I'm going to lose control and I got to be the man, right? And basically we're saying, God, you don't know what you talk about. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, 90% of the problems we see in marriage stem from the fact that people refuse or ignore They refuse to do or they ignore what God's word says. And they come up with all different kinds of excuses and they blame each other and they say, well, I'm not doing this because he's not doing that. And, And I say, when I hear that, show me anywhere in the Bible where your obedience is predicated upon somebody else's behavior. The Bible does not leave any room for that type of rationale. And I ask you this question. Who designed marriage? Who invented it? God did. So we should trust him, that he knows what he's talking about, right? So that's the starting place. That's the foundation. Two people who individually in their hearts say, I'm going to be submitted to Jesus in my life. It's been said that marriage isn't about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. So it's inside. It's individually saying, Lord, I'm going to be who you want me to be in this marriage. It's about remembering this, that your spouse, for all you guys, your wife is God's daughter. 
before she's your wife. And all of you ladies, your husband is God's son before he is your husband. And God loves you both and is committed to you both. Now, a foundation, though, doesn't make a house, right? You need more than that. You need more than just a slab of cement. So what comes next? When you're building a house, the next thing that comes, and for all you builders, don't get you know, mad at me if I'm skipping some things here, but in this analogy, what comes next is the walls. You frame up the walls, and the walls create elevations. The walls give depth and perception, and you start to kind of see what this uh, house is going to look like. The walls give character a house, and, and, and in the walls, there are doors, and those doors are what? Entrance points, right? And in the walls are windows that allow light for, to come in and illumination to happen. In our house, my wife has pictures that are hung on the wall that tell a story of the years of our family. And she has these different plaques that she has on, you know, different walls that tell, you know, something that's important to her or something about, you know, our relationship with the Lord. When we were dating in my apartment, this was my decor. I thought it was awesome. I had a picture on the wall, on one wall, of Michael Jordan going in for a dunk with his tongue hanging out, okay? I had on the other wall the Endless Summer poster. Remember that, guys? You know, Endless Summer? And then I had on the other wall, I had the, the I Am poster, the one with all the names of Jesus right in the middle. The, I, you guys remember, remember that one, you know? Uh, I was looking for pictures of these. See, I couldn't find it's how old they are. But uh, so, so I had, you know, those were my priorities, basketball, surfing, and Jesus, you know? It was like, that was the decor. And when Denise and I got married, she's like, I'm going to change this. I'm like, why? You know, like, like even Michael, you're taking down Michael, you know? But she made it look a lot better. She did, you know? But on the walls, the walls, you know, there's windows that illuminate. There's doors that are points of interest. And, and, and so, too, in, in a marriage relationship, we have the, the walls. And oftentimes, you know, we think of walls as negative things. In this analogy, it's, it's a positive thing. And we see the premise of these walls in the first part of verse 21. Look at it again. It says, submitting to one another. It's the idea of mutual submission, of mutual concern, of mutual respect and caring for one another, and communication is going to be a big part of that. Because when you think about communication, what happens? It brings depth into a relationship. It's through communication that a relationship has a chance to grow. Communication brings insight. Communication brings illumination. Communication is like a door that opens access to our hearts. It's like the window that illuminates what we are thinking about and what we are feeling. And next week, we're going to be, we're going to look at some practical ways to build communication in a marriage relationship. But healthy and consistent communication can take a relationship to a whole new level. 
So mutual respect and submission is represented by the next phase. The walls, it's learning and understanding our love languages. We're going to talk about that as well next week. And this is what should motivate a husband to do what Peter says. When Peter says, husbands, dwell with your wife in understanding. Now, guys, you realize that's easier said than done, right? To dwell with your wife in understanding. And the reason is, is because women are complicated. You are, ladies. My friend calls his wife his, the beautiful mystery. And, and that's what ladies are. You're, you're, you're a, a beautiful mystery. And guys, you can be frustrated like that or you can look at it as the challenge of your life is to, to try to discover the mystery, all right? How many of you like mystery movies? I love mystery. That's the thing, you know, the beautiful mystery. And, but women are. You're more complicated. Women tend to be more emotional, Women um, are more hormonal than guys. Women are a lot more communicative. You know, they, they talk a lot more. They don't often say a lot more, but they talk a lot more, right? I'm just being honest sometimes, right? <laughs> Come on, ladies. You know, sometimes you, you don't even know what you said, you know, <laughs> after all of that. And, you know, ladies, you guys go through those certain, you know, Times of the month and certain seasons in life, like premenopause and menopause, and you know, for for Denise, and she doesn't mind that I talk. We, we talked about this before, so I'm not going to get in trouble if you're wondering. But, but you know, it was about 45 years old that she started going through um, premenopause, and she started to you know have anxiety and mood swings, and and I literally found myself wondering, where did my wife go? I literally had my kids ask me one day, what's wrong with mom? <laughs> you know, I mean, the change was really, really drastic. And I'll be honest with you, when it first started to, to happen to her, my first reaction was, this stinks. <laughs> because our relationship had come to a point where it had gotten easy. I mean, everything was just moved flowing and working and we had you know kind of hit our stride and we had everything kind of figured out and we were just kind of cruising along you know 20 years in and it was great and all of a sudden I find myself going now I gotta work again you know and I wasn't really happy about that but after getting over my pity party I realized that God was using this to do something in my life because, you know, when we first got married, I prayed probably every single day, Lord, show me how to dwell with Denise in understanding. Because I wanted to learn. I wanted to be open. I wanted him to teach me. And so that was a daily prayer for me. But then as, you know, the years went by and it's like, okay, I got her figured out. I know her. We're gelling, you know, working together. And then all of a sudden this happens and, and it's like, where did my wife go? Who is this person? Because the change was so drastic and I started praying that prayer again. And it was so good for me. It was good for me to come back to that place of dependency and through the years, 
We've gone through a lot of different challenges and a lot of different things that we've had to learn to grow in communication. And Denise, you know, she came from a very dysfunctional family and there was abuse in her family. And all of that has created certain triggers. And we've had to learn to communicate about that. And so next week, we're going to spend some time talking about and looking at some ways to practically build communication. We're going to talk about what destroys communication, and if it is destroyed, how it can be built up again. And we're going to look at one of the most amazing passages in all of the New Testament that that usually doesn't get talked about in the context of marriage, but I think it is a passage that gives such incredible insight to the marriage relationship and, um, and really gives us insight on insight, how to care for and how to respect and how to love our spouses. And this, what we're going to look at next week, I think is a game changer. If you had to pay tuition for this class, it would be worth the price of admission just for what we're going to talk about next week. But couples who learn how to walk in this simple principle that we're going to talk about next week will experience a renewed joy, an excitement, and a rhythm to the relationship. But for tonight, I want to continue with our picture of the building. So we have the foundation. And next week, I'm going to quiz you on this, okay? So the foundation is two people individually submitted to the Lord, who are walking in the fear of the Lord. Then we have the walls. The walls are two people who are submitted to each other, okay? Submitted to one another, that mutual respect, that mutual submission. And then that leads us to the roof. And the roof in this analogy represents a self-sacrificing love that we are supposed to have toward one another. You know, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4.8, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, we're told hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And it's this covering of love that leads us to be willing to walk in forgiveness. And we'll spend some time talking about that what that looks like, what it doesn't look like, what it's not, why trust, once it's been broken, takes some time to build it back up again. But this idea of self-sacrificing love is really a thread that runs through the rest of this passage. Because it takes a self-sacrificing love, ladies, to submit to your husbands, okay? You don't naturally want to do that. So we see that self-sacrificing love right away in verse 22. When he says, wives, submit to your husbands. That doesn't come naturally. That rubs against the very fibers of your being. But it is part of the fall. Because in in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, after the fall, this is what God said. That was part of the curse for the wife. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he'll rule over you. So that's part of your sin nature that you rub against that idea that, you know, I don't want to submit, you know, I don't know if I can trust him and I, you know, I want to lead. In fact, years ago, there was a pastor by the name of Louis T. Talbot. He was preaching at uh, the Open Door, big, huge church back in the day in, in L.A., 
And he was preaching on this particular Sunday on the subject of wives being submissive to your husbands. And when he was done, there was a woman that came walking up to him and she was carrying a great big purse, wearing a great big hat. And she said, Dr. Talbot, how dare you tell us wives to submit to our husbands? If you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea tomorrow. And he didn't miss a beat. He looked at her and said, and if I was your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) But catch this. A wife who is first submitted to Jesus. You see, that's why that's key. It's a lot easier for her to submit to her husband in a healthy way. Even if she might have a hard time trusting her husband, she's trusting Jesus. Okay? And so in our week three of our study, we're going to talk about what we call the mission of marriage. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 2 where God gives the wife this incredible title. In fact, it's a title that is only used in Scripture of God himself. It is an amazing, incredible title. And we're going to talk about the roles that God has for us as husband and wife in the marriage relationship. And we're going to talk about the partnership and what submission really looks like and what that mutual submission and partnership looks like. And ladies, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be really, really encouraged. And I think, guys, you're going to be enlightened. This might just cause a light to come on in your heart and in your mind. And I think that might be the most important study that we have in this series. That'll be week three. But the picture here of self-sacrificing love runs throughout this whole passage. I mean, just think about the Lord's admission or admonition to the husband. In verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's self-sacrificing love. That you're to love the way that Jesus did. He gave his life for her. In verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That's the picture of of serving, of washing of feet. And then he says in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And again, nourishing and cherishing is a picture of serving and caring for her needs. Again, self-sacrificing love. And that's the roof. That covers the whole marriage as two people who, because they're submitted to Jesus, because they're submitted to his word, they're wanting to live and move in this realm of having a self-sacrificing kind of love toward one another. But guys, look at verse 28 again. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. That is a radical statement. Do you realize how impossible that is? Love your wife as you do your own body. I'm really good at loving my body. I'm really good at loving me, taking care of me. You know, I know when I'm hungry. I know when I'm tired. I know when I need a break. I know when I need exercise. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about, what, I wonder what Denise wants for breakfast. You know, I'm thinking about what I want for breakfast because I'm in tune with me. 
But Paul says that you as a husband are to love your wife as your own body. How do you do that? How does that even happen? Two ways. Number one is you have to learn to communicate. You have to learn to, to ask, hey, what do you want? What are your needs? What are you thinking? What are you going through? You have to be willing to listen. You know, sometimes, Denise, I've learned this, okay? Took me a while, but I learned this, okay? Sometimes, you know, she'll be frustrated with, about something and, and she'll, you know, want to talk to me and she'll start, you know, just going, you know, into something. And she might not even frustrate at me, just about something, you know? And, and so she's, you know, just kind of talking and, and I used to, you know, kind of put on my pastor hat. You know, I'm going to come in a counselor now. Like, okay, well, you know, babe, in, 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 in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, and I, she didn't want to hear that, right? So I had to learn. And literally, I'll ask her this. I'll say, um, are you just wanting to vent right now? Or do you want me to respond? You know, are you just wanting to vent or am I supposed to, to do something? You know, and sometimes she'll say, no, I'm just venting. Okay, great. Go for it. You know, and, and, and it's wonderful, you know, but I had to learn. I had to learn that. But, but being willing to, to listen. And, and ladies, 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 you got to talk to us. We're not mind readers. We cannot read your mind. Can I get an amen from the guys? <laughs> you got to talk to us. You got to tell us what you're thinking. So, so that's a big way, part of the way. And that's why communication is so important is that if I'm going to love her the way I love my own body, I need to know what her, what, what her need is. I need to know what she's thinking. I need to know what she's going through. I need to know how she's hurting. I need to know how you know, I can be praying for her. But here's the second way is that I need to grow in my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is going to help me be more in tune with her. And there have literally been times where I can be in the middle of the day and I just sense, excuse me, the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart, my heart, not my head, speaking to my heart and saying, call Denise right now and just tell her you love her. And I'm thinking, that's so stupid, you know. No, call her. Okay, I call her. And it happens to just be exactly what she needed in that moment. Or there'll be times where I'm leaving here and the Holy Spirit will just speak to my heart and say, call Denise and tell her you're going to pick up dinner. And I have no idea the day that she's had. And her day was just crazy. And she's trying to think about, what am I going to make for dinner? And I'm so far behind. And everything's going, you know, been going nuts all day. And I call her and it's like, oh, that would be amazing. Now, there's a lot of times where I don't listen to, you know, that voice of the Holy Spirit. And I get home and I wish I had because I realized that, you know, she had a horrible day. So this is really, really a key, okay? And this leads us to the fourth element in our blueprint because think about the house. We have a foundation. We have walls. We've got doors in the walls and windows in the, in the walls. We have a roof. But what are we missing in order to live in that house? Anybody? Now we got doors. I heard somebody say something. Power. We're missing power. Exactly right. We're missing the power source. Now look back at verse 18. 
Now, I want you to check this out. We haven't touched really on verses 22 through 23, okay? But we're seeing so much that is so important about marriage, and this is key. Verse 18, Paul says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the starting point for every single marriage if it is going to be successful. And what's crazy to me is I have read many, many books and listened to many, many teachings on the subject of marriage, and so many of them leave this out. And to me, it is a critical mistake. This is key. This is something we will keep coming back to. You see, you cannot do anything that God asks you to do as a husband or a wife. You can't do it consistently in your own strength. Like I just said, ladies, your natural tendency isn't to want to submit. Guys, your natural tendency isn't to want to serve. It isn't to want to prefer your wife above yourself. We are selfish by nature. And on top of that, the standard that Paul puts before us is so high because he says, he doesn't say to me, you know, hey, love your wife like Chris loves his wife. No, that's not what he says. I go, I, I can do better than Chris. You know, that's what I'm thinking. No, he says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the standard. Suddenly that puts me in the default. That's what me, that puts me behind the eight ball. It's like, I can't love like him. He, his love is perfect. Now check this out. The word filled here in the Greek is the word plermo, pleroma, which has a couple of meanings that apply here. The first is it could mean permeated, okay? Filled, permeated. Permeated is what happens to your cup of coffee when you put sugar in it, right? It becomes permeated. After you stir it up, there's no part of your coffee that doesn't have sugar in it. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to permeate every area of our marriages, every single avenue of our marriages. Have you ever thought about how the Lord doesn't give us a step-by-step formula for marriage? He gives us instruction, general instruction. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. But he doesn't give us a step-by-step formula. He doesn't say, okay, now this is what this is going to look like for you ladies. Boom, 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 boom. This is what it's going to look like for you husbands. Boom, boom, boom. He doesn't do that. And the reason is, is because what that's going to look like in all the marriages represented in this room is going to vary because no two couples are the same. So for one husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, that might mean that he's buying her gifts and he's giving her words of affirmation all the time and letting her know just how much he loves her. And that, that does it for her. I mean, she's like, you know, man, I just feel so loved by my husband. But then another wife, it might be, I don't want gifts. I don't want flowers. I know that you love me. I want you to make sure my car's running. I want you to keep up the house. I want you to help me with the kids. Because for her, it's acts of service. So it's going to vary. So what is so necessary for us is that as we are being filled, permeated by the Holy Spirit, we're putting ourselves in a place where we're saying, I need to be led by you. I need for you to be speaking to me as to what it looks like in my relationship to be the husband, to be the wife that you've called me to be. We need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But this word Pleroma is also a word that was used to describe empowered. 
like when the wind would catch the sail to power a sailboat. That it's propelling that sailboat and we need the Spirit's power in our lives. And I believe that this is so significant that before Paul gives one word, one word to the husband and wife about the marriage and the family that he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And literally, it reads this way, be continually being filled. Like every single day, in other words. And the reason is, as I said before, we can't do what he's called us to do in our own strength. Marriage does take work. It does take intentionality, but it also takes a power that is beyond ourselves. And the Lord wants us to be completely dependent upon him, to really believe what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, one of my life verses, and I'm almost done tonight, is Matthew 5.3. Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I love that verse, because to be poor in spirit means to realize your utter dependency upon God for everything. Okay? But I love the promise. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who realize their utter dependency upon God for everything. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, think about this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who were already his followers. So when he says theirs is the kingdom of heaven, I don't think he's talking there about heaven. Like, hey, this is how you go to heaven, even though we have to become spiritually bankrupt and realize we need a savior before we can be saved. But he's talking to people people who are already following him. So what does he mean when he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? I like to think of it in this way. He's saying that all the resources of the king are suddenly at your disposal. For the person who realizes their utter utter dependency upon Jesus for everything, all of the resources of Jesus are available to you. Everything that we need, in other words, to be who he called us to be is available to us. That's why we like to say that God's commandments are God's enablements. Because God's never going to command us to do something that he doesn't also give us the power to carry it out. So the only way that we can even begin to love sacrificially is through the Spirit's power. And so for that reason, Paul begins this whole subject with these words. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, like that's what the world does. They don't know how to cope, so they get drunk. You don't do that. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice that Paul didn't write, get yourself filled or fill yourself. Instead, he says, allow yourself to be filled. And catch this. This will be the result. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying here, this is going to be the result. You're going to be speaking to one another in the right way, in the right tone. There's going to be joy in your relationship. You're going to be thankful. So here's the big question as we wrap up tonight. How are we filled? How are we filled? There's two ways. One is to ask. One is to simply ask. It's to come to that place in your life, in your marriage. You say, Lord, I don't understand her right now. 
Lord, I don't know what to do with him right now. So Lord, help me. Fill me with your spirit and show me what this is supposed to look like. You make that your daily prayer and you'll begin to see God move and work in amazing ways. So one is simply to ask. It's realizing our dependency. The second, though, is to spend time in the Word. And I want you just to close tonight by asking you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see something really, really cool. Colossians chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. And I want you to see this. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, if you guys in the back can put up on the screen Ephesians 5. Oh, they have it up. So, so check this out. Do you see, the, can, you see the, the, how similar these verses are? Okay. And in, in here it says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And this will be the result. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and giving thanks to all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And this will be the result. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. It's almost identical to what Paul says is the result of being filled with the Spirit. Why is that? I think the Holy Spirit is wanting us to see a connection, that there's a connection between letting the Word of God dwell in us richly and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that the two go hand in hand. And it's as we get into the Word of God that we see what our resources are as who we are in Jesus. And then it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to carry that out. The Word of God shows us areas that we need to grow and change and repent, and the Holy Spirit empowers us more in that reality, to walk in that reality. So the two go hand in hand. How are we filled on a daily basis? It's, it's asking, and it's letting the Word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly. So as we wrap this up tonight, quick review. Marriage is like a garden in these two ways. You get out of it what you put into it, but if you neglect it, things are going to die. Weeds are going to grow. Our checklist, this is our house, and I want you to think about this. I want you to talk about this and, you know, if you leave tonight, I want to just say this. If you leave tonight and you're looking at this checklist and going like, gosh, I'm failing on all fronts or I'm not good in three of these four things, that's okay. Because this is where, as you put the time in, you're giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work. But we talk about how's your foundation. Are you individually, that's where it starts, submitted to Jesus Christ? Would you say, Jesus is Lord of my life? Not saying you're perfect, not saying you don't sin, not saying you don't you know, have your moments, but you in your heart, you're saying, God, I've committed my life to you. I want to follow you. I, wanna, I want my life to be marked by you being my Lord. That's the foundation. How's your foundation? Secondly, how are the walls? Are we submitted to each other with a mutual respect and a mutual caring? How's our communication? That's going to be reflective of that. Ask yourself that question. Here's number three. How's the roof? 
Is our relationship marked by self-sacrificing love for one another? Are we given to sacrifice? Are we more, you know, like so many basketball players say, I got to get mine, you know. Is that our mentality? I got to get mine. You know, which is it? And then finally, how's the power supply? Are you worn out in your marriage? Now, life wears us out. I mean, Jesus even got wore out, and he you know, slept in a big storm because he was wore out physically. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, are you wore out? Next week, we're going to talk about this in the sense that over the years, I've seen a lot of people who love each other. They've been married a long time. They still love each other, committed to one another, but they're not what I would say in love with one another anymore. I love to see couples fall back in love with one another. That takes some work. And we're going to talk about that. But, you know, are, are you thriving or are you wore out? That's something I want you to think about. I want you to pray about. Maybe, you know, talk about. And then we're going to dive into this a little bit more and begin to break down each one of these over the next five weeks. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, our time tonight. I thank you for each and every couple that's represented here. And Lord, I know that you know where each person is. And I know, God, that you love each one of these couples. And Lord, I pray tonight that um, as your Holy Spirit has maybe stirred our hearts on certain things, that we wouldn't resist that, but that we would know that that is simply your way of loving us. Your way of, of, of saying that, hey, I, I want to fix this. I want to change this. Lord, for, for those who maybe are listening tonight and, and, and they're just checking boxes like, oh, yeah, we're doing great here and we're doing great here. Lord, I pray that they, they, they would see that these are things that they need to continue to build upon. That they continue to, to grow in. That their lives would be great testimonies to others. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here and every marriage represented here, God, that we would live those lives of just being completely dependent upon you to each day come to that place of just being like, Lord, fill me afresh today with your Holy Spirit and help me, Lord. Show me what it means to dwell with my wife in understanding. Show me what it means to walk in the role that you've given me for my marriage relationship. And Lord, I pray tonight just blessing over these marriages and these families. And we ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.